Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. Okay, welcome to episode 17 of the Retro Disney World Podcast. This is titled From Vinyl Chairs to Elephants and Hippos. And uh, this month we'll be talking to someone who got to start working at Walt Disney World in uh, kind of an interesting fashion. Uh, I'm your host, Todd McCartney, and sitting in with me tonight, as always, is Hal Bowers. Aloha. Hey, Hal, how it's going? Brian P. Miles. Greetings from the birthplace of our nation's independence. And Philadelphia, JT. if you didn't pay attention. Yeah, if, if you haven't been paying attention the past 16 episodes, he's from Philadelphia. Wait, that's Philadelphia? It is. The Damn. city of brotherly love. Of brotherly oh, love. that Rocky one, yeah. Town. And JT just piped up. JT, how are you tonight? I'm good. Greetings from the former rubber capital of the world. <laughs> former rubber. Where did the rubber go? Uh, I don't, I said outsourced. He's talking about <laughs> Ohio, Ohio, folks. Ohio, yeah. Where Little rivers change. catch fire. That's right. Yes, it did. <laughs> so tonight we're all, we also have another guest this month we're going to talk to whose uh, grandfather was a uh, master carver, I guess you could say, at, at uh, the Magic Kingdom during... Uh, uh, during its construction, so we're going to talk to her in a little bit. Um, before to get we we go over to that part, uh, normally we do our questions and comments, and actually this month we're going to open up to you, the listeners, to send us some comments back via a survey. So we put together a, a short 10-question uh, survey, and uh, we'd appreciate if you could all uh, head over to it and give us your feedback so that we can improve this podcast and uh, bring you the things that you, you want to hear. So if you head to RetroDisneyWorld.com, forward slash survey that will take you directly to the questions and appreciate if you could uh, fill that out for us um, so with that we're going to get right on to uh, our listener mail jt you ran into the mailbag what do we have this month uh our friend joy johnston wrote us uh email uh sent us said uh, i just found your podcast and is absolutely awesome i love it it is so informative and interesting which i agree i also think that your website is fantastic i could be on it for hours your videos and photos are great brings back so many memories uh when the parks and the attractions were new that's kind of an interesting take i never thought right, about right, it yeah. new and then finally said thank you for all your time and effort you put into both the podcast and the site to bring magic to us you guys are just awesome well thank you so, joy i agree yeah. <laughs> i do think we're pretty good huh and and joy if you like the website we are working on a new version of it that should be not only easier to navigate but we're going to be working on making it mobile friendly as well so yeah. that's coming up in the next hopefully month or two if not sooner and um, now, JT, we have a another pseudolish. Well, she's not a listener yet, right? No, she. I think she will be, though. She maybe. will be after we speak with her. So we, we got in touch uh, with Kelly Wise Valdez. And um, while she's not a listener of our podcast yet, she recently posted on Facebook. And, and Brian, you I believe you found it first, or somebody had recommended it in your feed. Well, it, it, it went viral very quickly <laughs> amongst, the, amongst the Disney nerd community. That's right. And uh, it was 
pictures that her grandfather worked there. So uh, we're going to give her a quick call here. And yeah, her uh, grandfather worked during the construction during of, this construction of the Florida property. Right, right. And she has some interesting stories to tell. So uh, we welcome Kelly Wise Valdez to the show. Kelly, welcome. Great. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for joining. So, uh, Kelly, you had posted a number of photos that sounds as though you stumbled across of your grandfather. Um, and he was a, uh, I believe you said a master craftsman woods worker. And uh, he worked down at the Magic Kingdom during its construction, correct? Right. That's correct. Now, how did you come about finding these these photos? Well, um, he passed about 12 years ago. And my grandmother passed about three years ago and we all, you know, cleaned up her stuff and we all got boxes of things of which mm-hmm. I don't even know how we even divided up who got what. And, um, but I am a Disney fan and I did work for Disney and I'm the oldest of the grandchildren. So uh-huh. I got this box full of miscellaneous Disney memorabilia, which at the time I was, you know, in the middle of my life, I was busy, didn't pay attention to it. Well, I'm in the midst of moving and um, closing on a house in two weeks. And so I'm packing and I'm trying to get rid of things. And I saw this box. I'm like, oh, I wonder what, you know, what's in this box my right, grandmother right. gave me and miscellaneous things in it. And in the bottom of it was a small brown old leather album. And I remember thinking, what in the world is this? And it just said photo album. And I opened it up and I just saw a bunch of cranes and scaffolding at some point and I closed it up and then I don't know I remember thinking huh I don't know what that really was so I opened it up again and I started flipping through it I saw Cinderella's castle being built and I was like Uh oh my gosh I said who knew that I had this this is interesting I didn't think it was particularly fascinating but I was like huh so I took a picture of one of them on my cell phone and posted one picture which is my grandfather standing in front of the castle Um, I posted it on Facebook well then I, I had about I don't know, 1,184 friends. And about all of them was like, they walked, they went crazy. And they were like, do you have any more pictures? And I was like, well, actually, yeah, I have a whole album of them, but I really have that kind of time. <laughs> so I just scanned like another 13. And I posted the other 13. And then I guess that's what it's considered it went viral. I've never had anything like that happen before. And it just started, I mean, the ball started rolling and people started sharing. And I was quite fascinated with it because I couldn't figure out why everyone was that fascinated with it. Right. And um and so then I, you know, started doing some research and quite frankly, there isn't a lot online that you can find that's random amateur photography of that stage of the game. And so I think um Disney pretty much probably had a lot of staged photographs. Um, but not a lot of amateur photographs. And I think that's why it's, people have really been fascinated by it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think we've yeah. probably seen all of the construction photos from the various Disney <laughs> guidebooks and preview books when they were building the Magic Kingdom about a thousand times in different publications. So yeah, you're right. It was like a eureka moment when we saw these photos. Like, oh, my goodness, look at this. Right. Yeah, right. It, it's been really the, the feedback I've gotten has been crazy. And um, I, I contacted my dad because my dad is still alive and that was his father. And I'm like, hey, have you ever seen these photos? And he's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And I showed him and he was, you know, like, how did you get these photos? And I'm like, oh, they were in the box that I got, you know, from grandmother's house three years ago. <laughs> and he's never seen them. No one to our knowledge has ever seen them. And um, my grandfather would be getting a big kick out of this right now, actually. And and so we've been speculating over the last few weeks, you know, how did this even happen? Right. But he did like photography. And he did have a big, huge 35 millimeter camera, you know, the olden days photography, you know, with your, you know, the real the, film, the film and the whole nine yards. And, and he was a little bit mischievous. And, and my, this is my thought process. Probably not allowed to take pictures of it under construction. 
he probably did anyway mm-hmm. and didn't show anybody. That's just my <laughs> guess because that's kind of how he rolls. He was so. the, one of the first undercover. Uh, undercover, yeah, because you're you crawling yeah. up on scaffolding and you've got a big camera with you and you're, you know, you're crafting things with your hands. How are you taking pictures? Yeah, but yeah. He did. That, that, that's interesting because I mean, obviously there were thousands of people working. In fact, uh, how uh, had a a couple of relatives that went down there to work on the construction of the of the park when it was when they were first building it. You would think by now we would have seen a lot more amateur photos emerge right, right. from that phase and we haven't. So you make a good point, Kelly. Yeah, it's it's amazing and, and they've held up fairly well. I mean I know you all saw them in their in their raw stages. Right. Um I, I you know the fact that I've scanned them and so I, they're not going to further deteriorate is is you know is a thrill for me because I didn't know they were in there could have very well never seen them and they could be ruined and never seen again. Um, So that's amazing. And, you know, a lot of people, I mean, thousands of people have contacted me, quite frankly, all over the world. And a lot of them are like, you know, oh, you know, my grandfather worked at Magic Kingdom. My grandfather was there too. And, um, you know, did your grandfather know my grandfather? So I got a lot of people wanting to connect on that kind of level with me and which was amazing. And, um, and, and I found out from my dad, which is the weirdest, my dad and I have had more conversations about Disney World and my grandfather in the last probably two weeks than I have in the past <laughs> 49 years we've been alive. But he said um, that after the Magic Kingdom was completed and the construction was over, that my grandfather was a, one of a very small handful of um, craftsmen that were actually kept on and made full-time and permanent employees. Wow. That the hmm. rest of the people were just contractors and they had to move on after it was done. And my grandfather was actually kept on and he did continue to work there doing craftsmanship for Disney um, until he retired. Wow. And how long How long is it? When did he retire? He retired in, let's see, I actually started working there myself in 89. Okay. He probably retired in about 85. 85, okay, wow. Now, in in one of the emails you sent me that we had exchanged, um, you had mentioned that uh, uh, they even lived on property in one of a, a number of rare homes. And um, you, as a child, remember seeing the fireworks from their front porch over it, over the castle. Yeah, and that's another kind of interesting story because it that happened primarily because my grandmother um, she worked for RCA and she actually got transferred to the Magic Kingdom, technically, working for RCA, who had a contract for to build Space Mountain. Right. And she was an administrative assistant. So that's how they all kind of ended up in Orlando when Disney was being built. She met, um, and she was a great administrative assistant. She was very organized and very likable. And so one of the directors, the high executives, I want to say like a vice president of food and supply distribution, um, needed an administrative assistant and actually hired her away from RCA mm-hmm. and hired. Um, so she was a full-time salary administrative assistant for one of the high executives. And she actually helped set up the executive offices during when the Magic Kingdom was being built. So um at the time, they were also trying to incorporate, which you probably know the story, you know, the Reedy Creek Improvement District slash Lake Buena Vista. Right. The only way you can incorporate it is if you have citizens. So um, they, the directors all got together, and through a series of events, I guess my grandparents got picked to be part of these 10 homes that were put on Disney property, and they were the only 10 residents. And it was like, I remember as a kid knowing it and knowing that they lived in an odd place, knowing they lived on Disney property. But, you know, when you're six, seven, eight years old, it just becomes like, well, normal. You don't really think anything of it. Sure, sure. And so it was just so strange because when I started working for Disney, I I worked for their – Disney owns their own telephone company at the time. It was called Vista United Telecommunications. And I'd be like, I'm going to go to my grandparents for lunch. And they're like – 
well, we're in the middle of Disney. How how do you get there and back in an hour? I'm like, oh, they just live right there. And they're like, <laughs> what do you mean? And I'm like, yeah, they live right there. They're the people that live right there. And all my coworkers were like, are you kidding me? They're one of those people? I mean, because apparently that was like, you were the, I mean, it was like living in the castle. Right, You're right. the chosen one. And and like there was like a waiting list a mile long. Like literally people have to die to, to leave that. <laughs> Those 10 families. And some of them, you know, it was like they would take turns. Like, oh, you can be the mayor this year, Chet. You can be the assistant mayor, Betty. I mean, they, it was just strange. They were commissioners and mayors. And they all just changed positions every few years. No. And um, and they lived so close that literally we could stand in the front yard. And I could see the Magic Kingdom fireworks. You know, we would go in the back way into Disney. It would take us like, you know, three minutes to get to the Magic Kingdom. And, you know, and I really took it for granted back then. Because when, you, when you're in a kid, you don't know. And, and when I became an adult, then I realized more. And I think that's one of the fascinating things about the pictures themselves is that I think it's when you go into the park, you all you want to do is I want to get to those rides or I want to see Mickey. And it's kind of a little bit of sort of a shame that you had all these master craftsmen that literally did so much, I mean, amazing craftsmanship and work and into every detail of every window frame and every door and every nook and cranny and and no one really really notices it i mean it's beautiful in general with architecture but you don't walk in and go wow look at that window you know and and so it's a little i mean it's a little bit sad in that and the fact that i remember walking through the park with my grandfather you know right you know even when it opened and him pointing out to me things like you know oh i you know i did that door i made those windows and I remember thinking, who cares? I want to see Mickey Mouse and I want to ride, you know, it's a small world. And I mean, totally not appreciating all the hard work he did. Right, so, right. Um, yeah, so I, I think they should do some kind of architectural tour for people who are interested in that kind of thing. That would be interesting. That's a great idea. And, and you know, you're absolutely right. There's so many tiny little things that over the years and, and the people, like you said, often overlook. Um, and it's the, the, the sum of all those things that just make the experience that much you know, more interesting and more immersive. But we do forget about all those different things. And, and just in one item in particular, it's my understanding that your, your grandfather carved the door on the Liberty Tree Tavern. Is that, is that correct? That is legend has it. No, legend that is what it. he, um, he told one of my cousins that that's when it was funny. Cause you know, the cousins now have all talked cause they've seen the pictures in, you know, because I had possession of them and that was their grandfather too. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we all kind of been sharing like, you know, well, what did he tell you and what did he tell you? And we've all heard all these different stories. We've been putting the pieces together since since this whole thing has gone viral. And um, and one of my cousins, the one that said that he told me he made the Liberty Tavern door. And so I went, you know, online and tried to find pictures of it. And I did finally find a picture of it, but I went through the photo album and there is no picture of it in the photo album, which is a little bit unusual because – it looks like most of the pictures he took were specific to what he had worked on, um, uh, with the exception of maybe just the the large overhead photographs where he was taking a picture of the vastness of of the the construction project. Um, but some of the pictures were specific things that he was working on, and and I did not see Liberty Tavern, but I, I realized that most of the things I saw were located in the um, this the front part of the Magic Kingdom. Um, and not in any other location. So I don't have anything other than I think I have the Pinocchio's Village. And um, other than that, I don't see anything else. And I know he worked on other parts of the park. Oh, I know um, the Frontierland where I thought that was one of the coolest pictures is the Tiki Room picture. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm going to send you a picture here. I think this is the picture you're you're referring yes. to, right? So uh, as you know, we spoke and and we wanted to 
uh, work on your photos for you and 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 thank you for coming on yeah, the show that's amazing. and thank you and everything guys. so uh this is this is just a, a sampling here of what we've been able to do with with the photos so um for all of our listeners uh, what we're what we're showing kelly is that we're taking her photos and we're going to fully color restore them all um and so that everybody can see them uh, they faded over time and we're going to bring bring them all back to to life for her so yeah, hopefully you can see the difference there between. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, we've put a lot of different filters and, and things on there to to bring the colors back. So, um, and that's one of my favorite pictures there because as soon as I saw it, I'm like, "That's the tiki room." That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember and him talking about that. There's a smattering you know, I, of, of uh, Tomorrowland photos in there as well, and there's a great shot of, of the, the main monorail station being open, which uh, being being constructed rather. Right. Um, um, to get back to the woodworking for a second, so mm -hmm. I think part of the thing is. I always just assumed there was a catalog someplace that had this stuff in it that, you know, Disney would order. Okay, give me one of those and one of those. But it sounds like what you're saying is your dad was a master woodworker and they were actually building this stuff to spec by right. hand the old way. And that is that is absolutely amazing now that I know that. And right. like, I'm going to come it, in there with a whole new appreciation. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, and one of the pictures you can see where the actual window frame that he was crafting, he had down flat. And then it's the one I think with the contemporary hotel being built in the background. And, um, and he had it down flat and he would like – he had the specs and he would craft it and then he would put it then in – actually insert it into where it was going. So he crafted them first and then and then attached them to the building. Yeah, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with the way that this used to work, in the old days, you would have a rough finisher who would come into a building. So if you're looking at a, if you've ever been in a building that was built in like the early 1900s, you'd have a rough craftsman that would come in and sort of do the lentils and put in the rough woodworking. And then uh, a master craftsman would come in after that person and actually do all the detail work and all the fine finishing detail that you see in these older houses. And it sounds like they did that same exact thing here, which just blows my mind. Yeah. And and I, he works, I mean, specifically on windows and doors a lot. Um, and he, I, I know that he did all of it by hand because I remember his hands being rough and I remember him talking about it, you know, and then he worked long, hard days and and, you know, it does give you a whole new appreciation for, you know, the 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 hard work that it went into making the details that people don't notice. And one of the things that I remember him telling me was that the windows up top were smaller because they wanted to give the illusion of, of the building being bigger. Right, and I remember right. him telling me that when I was younger. And I remember not thinking that I cared very much about that. But you can see that in some <laughs> of the pictures. Yeah. And um, one of the pictures that I, that I posted and that went viral, some engineer took it and like schematically showed me what was what in the whole entire thing. It was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> some of the responses I've gotten from people, I've gotten a lot of construction companies wanting to post the pictures on their sites because of the craftsmanship that it shows. And, and just the fact that people don't do that anymore the way they used to do it in those days. So right. it's been kind of, the response has been kind of overwhelming and I've only released those, the first 13 pictures and um and you know you guys i think i gave you all of them right and yeah. um and so most people haven't seen even the rest of them and i actually was quite worried i'm like i don't know if i have that kind of time to post the rest of them. <laughs> we can't thank you enough for for coming on the show and, and by all means we're going to uh correct all 47 photos make sure that they're appropriately shared out there with your credit and uh Make sure that everybody has a, has a chance to view them because they're spectacular. And I know from for years to come, as Brian said earlier, 
we've all sat there for hours and hours looking over old construction photos, all the public ones that have been out there for so long, stock photography. And I know these pictures will be scoured over for years to come as people try to uh, unravel additional construction mysteries and timings and, and how things you know were back then because there's so little information documented about um, the construction and uh, placement for everything, the placement of buildings to how specific buildings were, were you know, constructed and manufactured. So, um, well, my grandfather started looking down, getting the biggest kick out of the whole thing. So <laughs> yeah. he was very meticulous and he was very mischievous. So this is how we got the pictures, I think. There we go. There we go. Well, Kelly, again, thank you so much for joining us. Great. Much appreciated. And, uh, uh, we'll make sure to let all of our listeners know when and how to, uh, take a look at the photos. Awesome. I appreciate it guys. Have a good night. You too. Thanks, Thanks a Kelly. lot. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye. Thanks Kelly. Bye-bye. What a really great treat for everybody. You know, we, we all have our little places in the, in the magic kingdom where we walk around and yeah. they make us think of different things. And now I'll never walk down parts of main street or look at certain windows or the door to the Liberty tree tavern without thinking of Kelly's grandfather. That's right. And, and you know, what's amazing is that the, she, she, that photo she mentioned with the contemporary in the background, I'm looking at it right now, the amount of detail that that gentleman was putting in at the, second third floor of a building that hardly anybody would look up and see is is amazing you know mm -hmm. just so much so much detail and now you start to look up a little more and now you're going to start to look at things definitely i think in that one i can see actually and now correct me if i'm wrong the left side the monorail track of the contemporary missing the part <laughs> oh yeah See yes, that? you're correct. The two beams that the two Tom beams Nabby are told missing. us had and fallen off the And if you look the to train. the right, you can actually see Nabby walking down the track. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's seriously gone. It's not there. That's what an eagle eye there. You you've you've got it. You've nabbed it. I'm gonna drop this or mic you for the night. It, right? <laughs> you retired. We'll you're see good. You next month. <laughs> good tonight. I'm out. So well, once again, we thank Kelly Wiseveldis for coming on and. Um, Appreciate her for sharing those photos, and we'll let you know when and how they're available. All right. Well, it's time to do this month's audio rewind. Um, last month we had a good one. Who got it this month? It was. I tell you this. It was a record. The record number of entries this month. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys saw them coming. They were coming in fast and furious all month. Yes, they were. So, did anybody get? No. You didn't I get it. it. What? Oh, I, I knew what it was. The, the, I, I knew this one. You knew this one. All right. So let's take a listen to last month's. All right. Well, you guess now is the time from the Carousel of Progress. You are correct. That was the second song, the Carousel of Progress, that replaced Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. Uh, around what time? What, what time frame was that? How eighty? Uh, well, it came in in, in nineteen seventy five when 70. the attraction moved to Florida, right, and yeah. uh, did not get removed until nineteen ninety four when it was uh, redone and became Walt Disney's Carousel Progress. Right. And the quick story there is the sponsor, General Electric, the CEO, thought that they needed not a song about a great big beautiful tomorrow, but that the great big beautiful tomorrow was already here. So right. that's why they had the Sherman Brothers write a new song for the sponsor. That now is the time, not not tomorrow, that now is the time that your nope. refrigerator and stove can make your life earth-shatteringly exactly. better. Exactly. A little carpe diem. And it's true. Yeah. It My gosh. Ice <laughs> I don't have now to still lug, is the time. <laughs> I don't have to lug irons from the stove anymore when I'm doing, <laughs> right. doing and, the ironing. 
and ice just magically appears in your freezer. Right. I do, however, still keep a bucket of water handy to prime the cistern with. There you go. (laughs) And And for Rover. Nice cold bath now and then is usually probably fine, too. (laughs) So you're all sitting there listening. You want to know who the winner is. And congratulations to Rachel Cook. You have won the autographed Tom Nabby book. So we'll get that out to you. Uh, as soon as uh, as soon as possible. So congratulations. And of course, uh, we have another um, another audio rewind for this month. And this month's prize is going to be a book from RJ and Suzanne, a copy of their book um, Together in the Dreams. So let's take a listen to this month's audio rewind puzzler. Gee, it sure is dark in here. There's got to be a light around here somewhere. Ah, oh, this ought to do it. Whoa! All right, Pinhead, listen up. Your job is to pilot this craft through a typical day's maneuvers without overstressing it. Remember, use your head, don't lose your head. I've got my eye on you, Fuzzy. Screw up this mission and you'll be piloting a chicken till your retirement day. Got that? Uh, Yes, sir. Okay, if you think you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind Puzzler, send your entries to podcast at retrodisneyworld.com. A random winner will be drawn from all the correct entries to receive this month's prize. And please submit your entries on or before April 12th, 2016. And uh, all entries will be entered in for the big prize pot drawing, which we did done in December 2016. So far in that prize pot, we have an orange bird yo-yo, the brochure from the World of Motion, a golf resort Mickey head logo golf bag tag. That's a mouthful. And I'm going to add something this month, guys. Any idea? What is it? To, uh, I'm going to add. Is it a new car? It's not a new car. I'm sorry. Is that but the Cavalier? There, the year supply off? of Riceroni. <laughs> <laughs> Canned peas. Uh, no, I have uh, the Epcot. It's the maroon, orange, yellow uh, uh, salt and pepper shaker. The the rainbow oh, yeah. salt and pepper yeah, shaker. The original. So. 1982 yeah. salt and pepper shakers. That exactly. They get both salt and pepper. They get both salt and pepper. Oh. I'm not just giving one. Yeah. One's, give one's got two holes in it. And the other has three. Exactly. It's your choice, which you like heavier. If you like salt heavier, go for the three. So it's uh, <laughs> yeah. a good tip to go with. Your <laughs> I mean, you know, otherwise it's an insider tip. People could be looking at this going, which one is salt? Which one is pepper? They don't have the P and the S, you know, uh, it's the cutout. Yeah, I know. What you're, yeah. 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 So That's you a good one, though. Yeah. That's a. Has it been used? Like, is there pepper in it? It has in not. It? It, looks, it looks, they look fantastic. So awesome. Maybe awesome. next month somebody could add salt and the next month somebody could add pepper <laughs> to the pot. So you're like getting like a full grocery order. Yeah, exactly. You never know. We'll give you a bottle and some juice too. So, all right. So the pot's growing is what we're saying. Exactly. So again, if you know uh, the answer to this month's re- audio rewind puzzler, send your entries to podcast at retrodisneyworld.com on or before April 12th, 2016. All right, so this month we have two very special guests. Uh, we have RJ and Suzanne Ogren on. Um, they both had very unique uh, positions at Walt Disney World of, uh, in, in years past, and we're going to be speaking to them tonight and talking a little bit about their book um, that recently came out. Uh, we've all read it, some fantastic stories in there. And um, RJ, Suzanne, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. It's great to be here. Yeah. Very so, happy to be here. Excellent. So I, I, we read your book, some Absolutely fantastic stories in there. I, we have to, you know, go over a couple of them here. But um, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your book and also about a real high level uh, what, what you guys did down there. And then uh, I've got some uh, additional questions and, and, and uh, things for you for some stories. Okay. Um, well, I was uh, very lucky to finally get on with Disney World in the early 70s and 
um, actually mid-70s, and I was a monorail pilot, but only for three months, and very lucky I became one of the four original uh, audio animatronic artists. Uh, we were called artists, uh, animation artists, because it was easier for people to say. And we were the ones who put all the skins on all the figures, the presidents, pirates, ghosts, animals, and we painted those skins with special paints. And all the sets came under us, all the murals, uh, all the props. And um, we had an incredible time because it was just the four of us in a studio behind uh, it's a small world. And, and how, how many years did that did you do that for, RJ? Four. Four I years. Know, I know. There's a reason for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we read the book. <laughs> I have done. I have done a lot of work uh, off and on for Disney over the years since then too. Right. Right. And, and then Suzanne came on uh, after I got there, and I'll let her tell you what she did. Oh, thank quickly. you. Well, basically, I got his job in monorails because I was trying to get on in entertainment, but was not having any luck, and he told the supervisor in monorails about me wanting to work there, and he got me the job in monorails. I ended up there a year and a half, which was great, and I love telling about that in the book, but eventually I got to where I wanted to be, which was a dance audition to get into characters, and I was in characters for about a year, and left the company because of injuries and came back again five years later in 83 and stayed until 94 in entertainment management. So I had a varied career. His was more focused than mine. But that was why we titled the book Together in the Dream because mm -hmm. we both had had a dream of working for Disney since we were kids. That was how we reached our dreams. One of the very first stories that stuck out, stuck out for me, uh, RJ, you... You mentioned vinyl, and I, I thought the way that you landed the job was one of the most unusual ways, and I never thought that repairing vinyl chairs could get you a job at, at, at the Magic Kingdom. As I call them, the stupid vinyl chairs. Uh, <laughs> prior to getting on with Disney for about a year and a half, now I, do, I have a college degree uh, as an art teacher. I only taught for a year. Uh, we happened to move uh, to Orlando from Miami in uh, 73, just as we were going into a really bad recession. And uh, all of a sudden, there was no work anywhere, and I started uh, a little business repairing vinyl chairs uh, because all the hotels outside of Disney property, there was 22 of them, uh, went into receivership, and uh, the banks took them over. And I knew that they wouldn't be uh, buying new vinyl uh, booths or convention chairs uh, or even new pads for the seats, but they would be willing to pay like a buck for me to come in and repair the vinyl uh, using heat and glue and then using spray paint. You mean per chair. Per chair. chair. Yeah, per <laughs> chair. It was a dollar for 500 chairs. Um, and it's a rough time. It, yeah, rough time. Back and unstack thousands of chairs every month to find like 500 chairs that had a $1 rip in them. And, uh, I hated it. It was a it was a terrible, terrible job, and all I could ever kept thinking was, I've I've been reduced to repairing these stupid vinyl chairs, <laughs> and um, through circumstances, I got a job as a monorail pilot finally at Disney, and uh, then six weeks into it, an ad came up for uh, they were looking for a fourth artist. Actually, I was going to replace Leota Tombs 
who had been there training the other three artists and was, had gone back to L.A. to the studios. And anyway, I went through five weeks of uh, interviews and uh, with some of the famous artists of Disney. Very weird. All of a sudden, I, I beat out 13 other people, and uh, when I found out about it that I was going to be a management artist, I had to ask the director who handled the whole process of the interviews what I did different to beat out some really good artists, and there were some really good people there. Right, right. Uh, and uh, he said, well, remember what you didn't want to put on your resume, and your wife insisted you had to put it on there. Um, and I said, Ugh. and I, he said, you didn't want to talk about it either. I said, the stupid vinyl chairs? He goes, yes. I said, well, what is, why? He says, well, the skins you're going to be putting on the figures, like the presidents and pirates, is reconfigured hot melt vinyl glue for strength. You use heat to melt the skin together and, and cut it and everything else. And then you use the acetone-based paint to paint them, which is the same paint you used on the stupid vinyl chairs, as you call them. <laughs> But the stupid vinyl, nobody else had done anything like this. So the stupid vinyl chair has got you the job as a Walt Disney World artist. Look at, look at that. So you never would have thought. I remember seeing commercials in, this, in the late 70s and early 80s, too, for those home vinyl repair kits. Did you ever try any of those? God, That's what yeah. it was. That's what it was. Okay. <laughs> New vinyl. New vinyl. That's right. Now, <laughs> jumping over to your monorail experience, um, we've got a question for you. Last month, um, we spoke to Tom Nabby, and he invented something called the Nabby Grabber. And I don't sure. know if it... Do you guys ever recall utilizing the Nabby Grabber while... Daily um, basis. Both of us. Uh, you did. I actually I, met Tom Nabby a couple times because for a brief period when I came back to Disney in the management area, I was working for the director of transportation, Dwight Dorr, who was a good friend of Tom's, and he would come up to the office and they'd talk. And, and I asked him, why did you, what brought you to invent this thing? And he said, well, because people kept dropping stuff down in the trough, mm -hmm. you know, the direct current is to the monorails, where you can't exactly jump down there and get it out without electrocuting yourself. And believe it or not, almost on a daily basis, we would have Mickey Mouse ears, Plush toys, clothes, everything, Kids, and those babies. things were <laughs> no. Those things were incredibly helpful. Right, right. One month we we find out who who you know invented it, and the next month we we've got the people who actually utilized it. So we, yeah, and we, we know RJ. Tom told us specifically everything but children. Yeah, yeah. They could not pick up children with them. <laughs> Thank but, God we never yeah. had that happen. <laughs> did not pick children and babies up out of the. Uh, no, that's right. Now, Suzanne, you, you had experience as a character, and there's certainly some interesting stories and, and sad stories, the way that um, um, some people treated you, um, and even some of the stuff that, uh, that RJ worked on treated the attractions. Um, but I had some questions. Your experience as a character during the Eastern Airlines promotion, um, I, I think we, we have a photo somewhere floating around on our website. We're going to find it and see if it's the one. Um, but that, that story was interesting how, you know, they, they flew you down to Miami. This is when Eastern Airlines was the big sponsor. Um, mm -hmm. You dressed up. You had, you know, the hat was off. The hat was on. It was in and out. It was in the plane. It was out of the plane. Um, I, we've, I'd like to find out if the picture we have is, is, is indeed the one that, that you were uh, you, you know, you opposed it. But I thought that was a really neat thing. We never hear a lot about characters doing things outside of the Magic Kingdom, especially mm -hmm. something like that, as important as Eastern Airlines was at the time. 
Yeah, it was it was really special for us because there was a lot of competition in the character department as to who who's going to get to go. You know, are we going to get to do this? Because they only took, I think, 12 of us. I don't remember now. I have to look back in the book. But it was fantastic to do. And the neat thing is that I'm still in touch with Jimmy Gray, a friend of mine who played Doc in our Seven Dwarfs unit. And also for that commercial, he was Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. And he told me a story I didn't know about, about him actually being taken down there the day before the rest of us went on the flight to go down. And he was working with a stuntman and the director with a harness outfit and a crane because they actually photographed him flying above the plane. So the story I tell in the book is about him, you know, volunteering to go up and lay on top of the plane for that still shot. Well, the picture that we have here, Brian, Brian was just able to pull it up. There's a number of characters. It's it's kind of a pyramid shape of characters uh, leading up the the the, the air stairs up to, up to what looks like it. Boeing Seven Fifty Seven. Flight attendants and stuff. Yeah, we, and you're dressed in yellow. No, who were you? Were you were you Doc? No, I was sleepy. You were sleepy. And there's a guy laying on the roof of the plane. Yep, yes. there's Peter Pan. Yep. <laughs> That's a crazy man. Not just any guy on the roof of the plane. <laughs> <laughs> if, you've, if you've read the book, you know that Jimmy was known for doing things when he was in the dwarf unit with me that weren't exactly <laughs> things we were supposed to be doing, but we had a lot of fun. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great, great shot. Water is a prominent feature in, in some of your uh, stories, too. So we, we've got a number of water questions we need to ask because um, there's a it's couple of things. Fell in. <laughs> yeah, um, I, yeah, you went, you, you fell in to pirates a few times. Does yeah. the water feel as, as, as odd as it smells? Um, <laughs> like you a know, chlorine pool. I, it, that's, a, that's a really good question. I never thought about it, but um, no, not really. You know, I... You told I, me it was like falling in a in a swimming pool. Yeah, it was just strange. I was more concerned about the fact that I'd fallen in pirates. Uh, a Shock. <laughs> yeah, and because uh, <laughs> on a hot day it does look refreshing sometimes. So yeah, can, not can a, I not just a, say I think you worked with a bunch of jerks. I don't know how <laughs> in the world you put up with that for four years. But just <laughs> reading, as I would turn the page of the book, I'd just be like, "Oh my God, who are these people? Why would they treat someone like that?" <laughs> A lot of practical jokes. Uh, <laughs> very, Believe me, he, he got back at them. They it was pretty much, you know, paybacks all the time. They they he could do a whole book on all the stuff that they did. <laughs> yeah. And what but, was your what was your one thing where it was like the with the guest interaction, like I remember the one where you said the the show started and you were kinda you were caught off guard. Was there anything like that really sticks out as the one where like guests would have seen it and stuck out in their brain as a practical joke? Um, oh God, where we actually pulled it, where, where the guests saw it. Uh, well, you know, that they, they were unintentional things when we got like caught when you in got a caught show. The Indian village? Uh, yeah, the, in, uh, the Indian village was a, was a funny one. It seemed like Tom and I were always getting caught in a show, making an emergency repair. It was, the show was running and there were guests all around and the, uh, Indian village, uh, which, Unfortunately, uh, employees every so often found it amusing to rearrange all the Indians, uh, squaws, and the chiefs uh, in some various positions. non Cigarettes in their mouths. And, uh, <laughs> so, you know, so it got to be pretty funny. And usually they'd catch this 
before the park opened, and somebody didn't catch the fact that the Indian chief was on his horse backwards. <laughs> park was sorry that everything was running. Well, Tom and I jumped in our pargo and we zipped over there to the Indian village and we we parked it back in the trees. And then as soon as uh, it was all clear and the boat had gone by and the train had gone by, we ran out and we rearranged the chief and everything and. And uh, we said, well, we're here. Let's check real quick to see if there's anything else. Well, we hear the train coming, which goes sort of through part of the Indian village. Most of the Indians are on the water side. And uh, so we, oh, we didn't have time to go anywhere except to run around behind a big teepee and stand there and hide. And as the train went past, we just kept moving. And we thought we were safe until we heard the whistle of the uh, paddle wheeler <laughs> coming around the turn. And we turned around, and here's the boat, and all the people running over to the side of the boat to look at us and take our picture. Because <laughs> obviously we weren't dressed as Indians. And Tom says, what do we do? And I said, just wave. And we just started moving like audio-animatronic figures, waving it. <laughs> oh, awesome. Just blend, just blend in. Now we're yeah. going to get back to the, the rivers of America in a minute because I, I want to talk about uh, uh, Leota again. But um, your other swimming escapades—I shouldn't even say escapades—you you, you learned to scuba down there. Um, you were one of the few people who uh, scuba dived in twenty thousand leagues under the sea, and we'll also talk about your scuba diving around the wave machine. But uh, we learned last month in talking to Ton Navi how the um, uh, twenty thousand leagues was originally spring-fed and then it became chlorinated later on um were, were you there for that transition and, and what was it like uh diving there my understanding is that you guys would stay down there as long as you could if oh yeah it was it was uh chlorinated by the time mm -hmm. i got there okay um which was nice uh i'm glad it was actually but uh it was about 12 feet deep and uh which was great for me you didn't have to worry about getting the bends because uh, quite often we would uh, go in whenever we wanted. We could swim anytime we wanted. So we'd come in and say... We didn't do it when the park yeah. was... No, it was always before the park opened, obviously. And uh, we would sometimes go in to check the figures, which is what we were supposed to be doing, or putting, helping putting in some things, but definitely checking to make sure everything looked all right. And if something needed to be pulled uh, for us to redo, like a diver or a shark or a mermaid... We would tell them, uh, the maintenance people, and they'd pull it that night, and we'd work on it the next day. But uh, quite often, we would just go in because we could and just swim around. And, of course, that's when the practical jokes got crazier than ever. Uh, <laughs> our air would get turned off. Uh, Those stories, I'm just amazed at the level of quality control um, that was going on at the park at that time because I, I don't think they do that anymore to that level. And the amount of latitude that you actually had to just go in and fix things as you as you felt it needed to be done. Right. And, he, and as he says in the book, too, even if something was wrong and you just mentioned, RJ, they would just pull it the next morning. It would appear on your desk. You would fix it and they would put it back on the next night or next exactly. game, whatever That's, it took. We had one time that we got called because one of the guests, while waiting in the very first room when they went in the Haunted Mansion and the, on the wallpaper that's in there, somebody had taken their fingernail and scraped a big section of it uh, and pulled some of it off. And so uh, we got a call and we went in probably 20 minutes before the place was supposed to open and quickly matched the color using acrylic tube paint and painted it 
to what, so you couldn't tell it was gone until they could get wallpaper and, and replace that section. That is amazing. Yeah, so, just a matter of minutes and just clearing up. And you, I, how I think you're right, they just don't, that, that level of detail is not paid attention yeah, to. The story that you have in the book where you, <clears throat> you basically have some tubes of paints and you're trying to match Dopey's eyelids on the fly while the show is running. <laughs> I, I just don't That's see them correct. doing Sleepy. that anymore. Sleepy. Sleepy. Yeah, but, but I felt Dopey. Sleepy uh, is my main man, so I always... Do you, know. <laughs> you want me to... Uh, what happened there? No, we'll let the list. We'll let the list. That's one of the very first stories in the book. I mean, we want some people to buy the book. Yeah, yeah. We'll let that. If you want to find out, just to me, that is just mind blowing. Knowing the way things work today. That's right. Yeah, that was the title of that. So now there's a stick in Sleepy's eye. (laughs) (laughs) that would intrigue people to read it. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. So. The other, the other swimming thing is, is the wave machine. And we want to, you know, this is one of those holy grails for, for us and a lot of listeners because there's so much limited information. And we've pieced together a lot of different things about it over the years. And uh, we also have some additional people coming up that were, were there when it was working. Um, but what did you find out about it? And what did you see when, when you dove next to it? Yeah, it was my uh, qualifying dive and the... Uh, the guy, scuba. the scuba diver, he was one of the people that worked for Disney full-time. And uh, we put on our wetsuits and got in a little outboard boat, and we're going out into the middle of the lake there. Seven seas. Yeah, the Seven Seas Lagoon. And we're heading toward this, this one of the small islands right in the middle. And we came around the side that faces the Polynesian Hotel, and we pull up, and here's a of steel, very rusted, sticking out of the water just a little bit, and we tied off to that. He says, we're going to dive here. I went, isn't this where the wave machine is that never worked? (laughs) And uh, he said, oh, it worked. It worked. It's just when the wave finally got to the Polynesian beach, it was only a few inches high because (laughs) the wave machine would make the wave uh, three, four feet high, whatever it was, when it worked, but they didn't realize they had to make a containment wall on each side all the way across the water to contain the wave, and the wave just dispersed outward so that by the time it got to the Polynesian Hotel, it was only a few inches, hardly anything anybody wanted to surf on. Right, right. But I did see uh, when we dove was absolutely amazing. There were thousands of fish around us. Yeah, I came home and told Susie, you'll never guess where I was diving. Wave <laughs> <laughs> <Aid> machine. <laughs> That's cool. So I wanted to go go back to where we were, going back to the uh, Rivers of America. You had a great story about Leota. You want to give a uh, sneak peek at it for the listeners? Yeah, yeah, I'll give a little bit. It, well, it, it involved, Leota was wonderful. She came back um, while I was there to, I got a chance to be with her almost every morning. She would come over and see us and have coffee or breakfast with us and even go around to some of the attractions with us in the morning. Well, this one morning, we got a call that uh, the Indians were frolicking again. And uh, so she thought it would be fun to go out with us. And we went out to the village and it was mayhem. We had to straighten up all kinds of figures and put them back in the right places and everything. But we hear this very loud noise and turn around and there's a uh, very large real alligator not very far from us. And it's what Leota did that was hysterical. (laughs) 
and life threatening. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's something. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> that's exactly. That's the right. That's the right. Yeah. And for our listeners who don't know, we are talking about Leota Toombs, who is one of the uh, figure finishers and artists that worked at Imagining in California. Uh, she is famous, uh, most famous for being the uh, the face of Madame Leota and the namesake of Madame Leota in the Haunted Mansion in the Seance Circle, and also the voice and the face of Little Leota uh, as you go up the exit of the Haunted Mansion. She's from regions beyond. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I actually got to work on both those figures and got a chance to ask Leota about the filming of that and how that transpired and that's in the book too that's so. a great that's a great story i i love that old-timey imaginary stuff so it's the just continuing so cool. moral of these stories is by the book yeah <laughs> now how there was there was some discussion a while back regarding that the, the glass in the haunted mansion ballroom scene had never been replaced it couldn't be taken out the the, the, the building would have to be destroyed and um mm-hmm. you know and and rg i know you you've you've disproven that myth that it indeed can be replaced <laughs> somebody who reported to know everything about the haunted mansion and actually had a site just on that and uh, i sent him an email and said au contraire never <laughs> uh, <laughs> been replaced in the haunted mansion so i i said i was there when it happened uh and it's a, a funny story but uh, and it's in the book, and I uh, and he came back and says, "Well, what happened? Tell me what happened." I went, "I'm not going to tell you." <laughs> I, I, I thought you needed to die, so. <laughs> Well, now he can read about yes, it. Yes, now he yeah. can read. About it. Yeah. But, I think uh, the one question I have is, where were the extra panes of glass stored? Were they just off to the side uh, well, in that same room? You mean the, the one they when they finally took the glass out? Yeah, the replacement glass. When they took it out, I, I wish I could have been there to see that because they to actually then take it out. They just didn't re because they took the roof off and lowered the new sheets of glass in with a big crane to okay. take it out. They didn't lift it out. They just shattered, they shattered it. it. It all fell to the floor of the haunted mansion. And uh, big chunks, about maybe anywhere from six to eight inches across, and the, and the glass is about um, half an inch to five eighths inch thick. Well, they took it all around behind the haunted mansion when they did it after they cleaned it up off the floor and put it in a big pile. And then, of course, later the next day, I think it was, they came in and hauled it all away and they buried it so that nobody could get any of the glass and sell it. Well, our studio was behind Small World, and of course, just over to our right across the little parking lot there was the Haunted Mansion. We came out and we went, oh, look, at, and we walked over to look at all the glass. Uh, and uh, uh, when Lee and Tom and I left, there were three pieces missing. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate this story in the book because the uh, the not to give it away, but the what you did with the spiders uh, has been misrepresented as something that happened in Disneyland. So I'm so thrilled to hear uh, a that it happened at Walt Disney World and b that it was you that did it. I that's maybe they amazing. copied you. They thought, Disneyland did I never heard it. that. No, that was at Disney World. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah. To cover up these uh, holes that had appeared in the glass, we made some spiders, and they were pretty good size, like the size of a tarantula, and uh, we glued them over the holes and then ran monofilament line up to the 
to the ceiling uh, and stretched it so it looked like the spider was just coming down a, a long strand of silk. Not silk, but spider webby stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I think silk is the technical term yeah, for no, spider, like spider stuff. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. I, I like the stories of you driving around the golf cart. I, I, I wish I could grab a golf cart and just kind of buzz around the Magic Kingdom after dark or whatever I, you know, before guests arrive. That, that had to be a hoot. It's absolutely incredible to get there at 6 in the morning and the sun's coming up and you, we'd leave our studio there and drive up to the to – the, well, we're on the back side of the, of the small world. We drive up the right side uh, and go between small world and where the uh, uh, sky. The, the thing isn't there anymore. Yeah, the thing is not now there anymore. It's now a restroom area. <laughs> yeah, the Alpine a lift. And uh, we'd drive through there and then to drive anywhere we wanted in the park. Now, we used to, we'd do that too, especially going to uh, Carousel of Progress and Space Mountain because there was no way to get to those two from the tunnels. Otherwise, uh, when the park was open, uh, a lot of times we would drive through the tunnels and drive very fast and honk the horn so people uh, <laughs> could hear us coming because of the curved tunnel. You couldn't see anybody. Uh, we were dangerous. We really were. Um, and uh, we, we were always trying to go through big puddles of water and get any, everybody in the, in the cart wet or people walking nearby wet. But not the characters. No. <laughs> I was the only one of the four artists that actually would stop and pick up the characters. Cause For which we were very grateful because those costumes are extremely heavy. Well, you know, so, so, you know I was just about to say, I, I have a, after reading the book, I have a new, uh, much more authentic appreciation, I believe, of, of what characters uh, go through. So um, You are not the first person to say that. <laughs> so oh. I, I, I give you credit for, from, you know, people just think, oh, it must be hot in there. But the story of you being knocked from behind um, by a guest was, was was interesting to say the least, and 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 sad and scary at the same time. Um, but but you know the shifts and 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 all the different things, and and now you know why they do the things they do today, where the where they have a character follower. You know, I want to call it. I don't um, want to call it a handler, but <laughs> while I was still there is when the union was forming for the characters, and that was one of the reasons why was because we wanted more protection and uh that was when we did start getting someone in not in a costume but in street clothes always nearby where right, they were right. nervous but that was happening just as i was leaving characters and i i did want to project a positive image about being in characters because i loved what i did but in order for me to explain why i had to leave i had to put those stories in about my injuries because that's what finally did me in kind of um but it it's something like you said that everyone has an amazing amount of respect for me <laughs> after I explained what was involved in being a character and you know. being her being in characters and so many of our friends being in characters that we got to know uh, and hearing the stories uh, they all have stories about guests unfortunately injuring them and the only thing we could all figure out was they people couldn't seem to differentiate between the fact that these were not cartoon characters these were real people <laughs> right right they're not two-dimensional there's actually people inside how stupid were people in the 1970s to not really stupid very, because very. we had a guy in a in an ape suit 
uh, over by the Jungle Cruise almost drown. It was for It was a orangutan outfit. And because of the way the costume was made, he was literally drowning. He couldn't get out because the the weight of the water in the costume was not enabling him to get out of there. Yeah. And it was two Jungle Cruise hosts that dove in and got him out. That's deeper water there. and, and uh, There were yeah. some other stories, too, a guy getting punched and knocked out by a guy that thought it would be funny to punch a... It was actually one of the Chip and Dale when they were still bigger costumes. And there was a big guy in it, and he got just knocked unconscious. We had Pooh and Tigger get thrown over the Liberty Square Bridge into the <gasps> chair. And the guy in the Tigger outfit actually went into convulsions because he hit his spine, and they thought he might be paralyzed. I mean, Oh, my gosh. Ridiculous kind of things that you just think, my God, you know, it was like the day the dwarves got beat up in and. <laughs> Fantasyland in the middle of Easter, you know, spring break time, and we couldn't believe it. You know, I got my nose broken by a, a junior high school football player. It, <sighs> it was that kind of stuff that you just—it just boggles the mind to this day. I still don't yeah. understand. And like you said, it did lead to the fact that the characters are now—they don't get to do the kind of stuff we did. They don't roam around the park. Right, and it's extremely rare to see that. And, right. Uh, right. Right, right. That was such a cute story about you interacting with the character, uh, Suzanne, uh, when you were a monorail pilot out on the, the deck of the Polynesian waiting. That was uh, waiting to... one of the monks, and that was great fun and terrific for me, like I said in the book, as an actor that's just like handing you candy. You yeah. <laughs> and, oh, this is fun. I'm, I'm enjoying this. You know. We always hear these stories of the old days where the characters would uh, like roam the parks and even in some places apparently – uh, and this is one of the things we don't know if it's true or not. We we would hear stories where they would actually get on attractions with people and maybe ride the teacups or ride like Mr. Oh, yeah. Toad or something. Yeah. They would do that. I never did that because no. I was always concerned about the – we had so little ability to see anything. You know, it was like being a horse with blinders on. <laughs> and I just was never comfortable as some of – like Jimmy Gray that played our doc – he could do stuff that we just look at him and go, how can you do that? How can you even move in the direction you're moving? <laughs> he climbed up on the Mickey floral wall. <laughs> and, uh, he said, I actually turned around one day when I was doing that, and Paul Bosch, who was the vice president of entertainment, was standing over there looking at me, shaking his head at me. And I kept <laughs> nodding my head as Doc. And he kept shaking his head. No, he said, "I knew I was in trouble." But well, you, you need to explain to the the guest, to the listeners that back then the costume for the dwarfs uh, were different, and the dwarfs now have the use of their own hands. And back arms when Suzanne and, did, yeah. did it, the, the arms were extended. Well, the costumes were much more elongated, so that we were actually looking through the the hat the hat of the dwarf. Right. And also, our arms, our hands were in steel T-bars in the elbows of the dwarf. So everything from the elbow down was a solid fiberglass figure. Fake hands. So we couldn't sign autographs, and we couldn't hug little kids very easily. Which is also, they couldn't figure out why Jimmy got up on the ledge of the wall, you know, four <laughs> feet up there, because he didn't have use of Well, he wasn't that tall. Jimmy was no. only about 5'9", so, no. yeah. But, okay. <laughs> you got in a garbage can one day too. Oh, yeah. 
So, RJ, before we move on to the listener questions that came in, I do have one other question for you. You, you worked on the model, or I should say worked on keeping the model of the uh, City of Tomorrow running uh, up there on the next to the People Mover line. And at the time, you, you were writing that, that the, the cars and trucks were moving, the lights were working, the Ferris wheel was going around. I don't think any of us, unless how maybe you saw, I don't ever recall riding that and actually seeing it it function i know it, it ceased to operate it's a shadow of it for herself but yeah. um what was that like back then seeing seeing that whole you know it's only half the model that, that's there but actually operate it was really cool because the 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 uh, maintenance people uh, the uh, electricians would keep those things working uh and the lights working and stuff and and it was it was a lot of fun but we'd always then have to go in and check it um, every couple of weeks because if they had been in there working on it, you walked on the model. Uh, first wow. of all, we get them to stop walking on it with their shoes on. <laughs> Whenever we worked on the Epcot model, too, uh, we, we took our sh- our shoes off. We were in our socks, and we were walking on the model and crawling around. And uh, so we'd go in there, and we'd find trees that were crushed, sometimes a house, uh, uh, and uh, things tipped over, and we'd fix all those things. But see, the, the problem is with with uh, the maintenance people. If something stopped working, and they had it was something they had and to change a lot, they didn't bother with it. They just let it go. And eventually, if the head of that uh, uh, section of the park, let's say. Um, was new because they would shift around the operations people. You know, they'd, they'd be in one area of the, of the Magic Kingdom, uh, like Tomorrowland, for a year, and then another year they're over in Fantasyland. And, you know, so they get to know everything and work their way up in the company. Well, once they shifted and a new person came in, unless they got the manual, and there were manuals for every single thing, including the model, model if they didn't look in there and study it, and they looked at the the city of tomorrow, and well, it's lit, and they didn't know that the Ferris wheel is supposed to be going around, or that the lights are supposed to be. That just stayed the way it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we had a constant battle with with them on, especially lights, and especially black lights, where they'd say, "Well, they're on." Right, yeah. right. <laughs> but they're not oh, as, as good as they used to be. Yeah. Ample. They're in the the hearse that's in the cemetery of the haunted mansion. There is a red light in that hearse. It's now, never on. Every okay, everybody, when you go ride on it now, you're gonna look at the hearse to see if the red light's on. Well, it wasn't there when <laughs> yeah. we were in September. It wasn't on when we were there in September. And <laughs> when 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 years later, when Suzanne actually uh, went back into working in uh, operations, and she was one of the hosts in the haunted mansion, I would come by and pick her up late at night when the, after the mansion closed and I'd be back in the offices with the, the lead or the supervisor and we'd be sitting there talking while the employees are just going around and cleaning up real quick and checking everything and uh, he and I would get talking about stuff and, I, and then one night I said to him, I said, you know that there's a red light in that hearse, in that hearse and it's not on. He goes, no, there's no light in there. I said, yes, there is. I said, look in your manual. So he gets the big book out and looks at it and he went, oh my God. There's a red light in there. <laughs> <laughs> he puts in, he has to write a form out and send it down. It has to, a form has to go to them, and then they come up, and supposedly that night or the next well, night. Well, and they came to they him and said, it. Who told you they that were, light was in he there? He said they were so. <laughs> 
He says, told you there was a red light. <laughs> See, I don't think they do the uh, I don't think they do the check forms at night anymore the way that they used to. I, I had a friend who worked 20K and he was shared one of the they had these like pull off sheets where they would check the animation at night on the last boat through to make sure. See if something yeah. was not working and then be able to leave a checklist behind for someone to go in and fix stuff the next day. Yeah. And unfortunately, the the artists that came in uh, within just a few years after Epcot had opened, it eventually it took all, all four of us left. Two went on to other things in, the, in the, uh, Disney and Lee left to go to Universal. And of course, I had left. And... Uh, the the artists that came in didn't have that esprit de corps, and they didn't. I hate to say it, but they didn't care as much. Well, they yeah. were. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's evident reading the book that you guys really worked there at a magical time where people cared. You cared about each other. Mm-hmm. People went out of their way to help each other to be able to move within the organization. It was. It seemed like it was a really special time. It was very yeah. magical. It was. And it, really and it made it hard for me to tell when I eventually left in the 90s why I left without getting too negative or naming names or specifics. You know, it was basically my own personal story that I was telling, and that's what I tried to keep it as. But I've had people that have read it that said, I thought you did a really good job of not getting into the dirt because there's been so many negative books writ- written about Disney and, you know, that time and certain people and all that. I didn't want to get into any of that because it was our dream come true, you know. And even, like I've told people, no matter when you work for a large company, you're never going to love everything that happens, you know. And there was so much of what we did love. That's why I stayed there as long as I did. And, you know, we still love Disney. We still love going to Disney World. And we're still pixie dusted. (laughs) So, so going back uh, to, to, the, to the comment of the guests, we do have some um, guest questions for you guys. So, JT, we've got a, a two people wrote in with some questions for them, right? Yeah, um, this first one's from somebody named Michelle. She said she'd love to hear more about uh, your involvement, RJ, uh, in Carousel of Progress and how they went about choosing paint, colors, fabrics, anything like that. Any details you'd have uh, about that would be appreciated. Oh, wow. Well, the... the the costumes were all done by the costume department. So we didn't do that. We didn't have time to do that. And the wigs were all done by the wig department. You uh, did the job but, that the wig women brushed yes, them. But, <laughs> yes. We did all the animal furs. I mean, we actually had to sew fur cloths uh, for the the dogs, we, the bears and country bear or everything else. But in Carousel of Progress, it was always very funny because the dog was supposed to be scruffy, and the uh, wig ladies would come in and, and comb the wigs and make them perfect. And we'd come in <laughs> a little bit, and then we'd look over at the dog, and the dog was just perfectly smooth. <laughs> and we'd go over and scruff it up, and then the next night they'd, they'd brush it again. But the, the, the colors um, of everything, I mean, the figures, uh, the sets, Everything we did, we had we did have books in our studio, and when we had to redo something, uh, we would go in and we had color sample of every single thing, and you had to match that color. Now it might tell you uh, possibly sometimes what colors were used to make that. Uh, we never had the colors pre-mixed. Uh, we, in fact, we would drive the scenic. Uh, I mean the. Uh, uh, 
the sign painters nuts because when we would redo a, a whole show, uh, we spent most of our time working on the figures and uh, the, and maybe some props. But we, if they were going to repaint sets, we didn't have time to do it. So we would get the sign painters who were better than just house painters to come in and paint those things. And the problem was if their paint they had pre-mixed at the studio at the paint area back at the back of the property wasn't exact, they would paint it that color anyway. Well, that was a no-no for Disney. It had to be exact. And we would walk over and pick up other cans of paint and dump it in their paint and start mixing. It drove them crazy. Uh, <laughs> color <laughs> had to be precise. And uh, it's it was always that making sure it was exactly the same. You didn't vary from that. And uh, even in painting a, a figure's skin, you had the 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 red tones in the cheeks of the of the young girl, like in last scene. It had to be the right shade, and you had to working with acetone-based paint, which we used then, was something that dries extremely fast. Uh, there's a picture of me actually painting that girl uh, with a artist brush and what you don't know is that I'm moving that brush very quickly because if I stop for a second my brush would stick to the skin it would dry instantly right to the wow. skin you try to pull the brush off and you you can't and if you do it leaves all the bristles come out of your breast and stick to the skin <laughs> then you have to you can't just clean that spot because you then can't paint it to match what you painted around here is this circle in the <laughs> You have to actually clean that whole area of the skin off and start over. So it can be very frustrating, and you learn to paint very fast and blend at the same time, which right. was very difficult. Yeah, people thought we used makeup. There was no makeup involved. Uh, it was paint. That's just 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 the artistic ability there is just is amazing. Yeah, yeah. You just keep not stop, but and somehow Alice, get it right. Yeah, Alice Davis, who wrote the, the foreword for our book, uh, whose husband was Mark Davis, one of the nine old men and one of our bosses, but Alice uh, designed all the costumes for Pirates of the Caribbean and mm -hmm. Small World and Carousel uh, of Progress. I mean, yeah, that's why I wish she's one of the Disney legends herself. And she and I have shared a lot of funny stories uh, that there'll be more of in the next book about the Carousel of Progress. Uh, and also small world and small world yeah. yeah 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 and people always say how do you stand to go in there in small world you also don't you also have to understand that every time we go into an attraction in the morning at, at six o'clock we always come in two hours before the park opens, so that changed sometimes uh, but when we go out and split up and we go to different attractions to check them and you'd walk into carousel of progress it's already running so if you're working on a figure, they're moving. <laughs> oh, and, and you had to be careful because you could get knocked to the floor by one of them if they, they suddenly move and swing an arm out. You know, yeah. Yeah. Right. Snap on electric lights and boom, <laughs> down. So fortunately, when the, the picture of me painting, painting her, we were doing a rehab, so the figures were not moving for that. But yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the uh, the second question I have is in relation to your story about Jiminy Cricket, and was there anything else you worked on that never made it onto a ride that you could think of, like a what if type thing? Oh well, 
Jiminy Cricket was uh, the costume department at uh, at Disney World. We don't for, have to tell the whole story. Yeah, I'm going to tell some. But for some reason, they wanted to be the ones to design the costume character to walk around in the park of Jiminy Cricket. Uh, and this was uh, 78, 79, somewhere in there. And they so they came back to our studio, and I was the only... I was the only one of the four artists that could recreate the characters, drawing them and everything. So um, you had to wait 25 years. To yeah, see the I, I, at I, Disneyland. Yeah, I did a prototype of the character and everything, and uh, they finally decided the character was too big. Um, which I said, well, Mickey Mouse is six the foot, only the so. only other thing I can think of, which you probably wouldn't even remember, is when you painted the little thing of. Cleo for the television special they were filming at Disney World. Yeah, that's actually something that will be in the next book. They were doing a television special of... of a live-action Pinocchio story. Yeah, and they were filming some of it on Main Street. I don't know why it was on Main Street, but uh, a couple of uh, young stars, uh, I think it was a brother and sister at that time, I can't remember their names, but they were in it, and they had the costume characters of Geppetto and... and uh, Pinocchio and everything, and uh, they wanted to have, they had a big fish bowl, and they wanted the Cleo was Cleo, yeah, Cleo. the the goldfish, yeah, and, <laughs> and it never occurred to them to have one made before they did the filming, um, because you can't train a fish, obviously, uh, and they came back to us, and I actually painted Cleo on a piece of of uh, thick acetate clear and put a monofilament line on it, and they just dropped it down into the bowl. And, but then they decided they didn't and, like it, it too flat. Yeah, well, it, it was fine. They, they did a quick shot of it, and you'd see Cleo in the bowl, and they cut away from it, and uh, they gave it back to me when they were done, and I don't think it made it into that show. But as far as anything in an attraction, no. I, uh, no, everything else we, we did while I was there ended up in the attractions. Sometimes we ended up in the attraction. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, guys, we, we have to wrap it up here. Um, I, I really want to thank both of you for, for coming on. And uh, I want to make sure our listeners know uh, where to get the book. And it's called Together in the Dream. It's on Amazon, right? It's a, You've got a Kindle edition. You've got a soft yeah, You can also get it through ThemeParkPress.com. Yeah. ThemeParkPress.com. Yeah. There we go. So, yeah. uh, and um, uh, coming up... Uh, I shouldn't say Shirley. We're giving away one of your books this month uh, in the Audio Rewind Puzzler. So, uh, so, so somebody has a chance to win that this month as well. But um, I want to thank you, you know, tremendously for coming on. A lot of great stories. Uh, I'm hoping that a lot of our listeners will grab your book and, and, and learn a little bit more about what you did and, and more about the background of the different things there. It's it really neat to see that side of things. And, and there's a lot of books that claim to be backstage Disney and all this stuff. But to see it from your you know, from your eyes and from a very well, well-written narration of, of what you, what you experienced there, um, you know, told the stories in a great, great way, but also gave us a glimpse to, to the backstory and the back, the, you know, the, the, the underground Disney, so to speak, that you don't hear about, but in the right fashion. So really well done. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, RJ, Suzanne, thank you very, very much yes. for joining us tonight. Really appreciate it. And, uh, Thank you for your time, and uh, we look forward to the to the next book. 
Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, I hope, we'll hope you'll have us back on when we have those out. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for your time. We'll see you soon. Okay, we'll be listening. Sounds good. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, so it's the time to talk a little bit about the uh, merchandise and, and other shirts. Last month, we, we released the... Um, the, the Nunes uh, Surf Corporation, Artificial Surf Corporation t-shirt. Uh, JT, you grabbed one of them, right? You, you had one. Yeah, I got one for me and one for my daughter. They showed up. They're so cool. It's We have like matching Nunes Wave Machine shirts now to wear. And then my wife was mad because we didn't get her one. Hey, you so now I got to order a third one. Oh. Did you get the ash gray? I got blue and then Lily's running a pink. Nice. So it's it's it looks cool on pink too. Like yeah. I was surprised. It's awesome. It's a sweet design, how. And I, oh yeah, I got some stickers which are great. Um, we'll throw those in if anybody wins a, a whoever wins the prize this month. Um, I also got a, a nice Roy's cab and notebook and, and a Nunes wave machine uh, notebook as well. They're they're really cool. And if you follow us, we gave away three notebooks this month. Oh yeah, yeah. And and we also had the twenty percent off coupon a couple times. So gotta follow us on Twitter. Uh, or on Facebook and watch. We'll, we'll get you discounts on this. So what are we talking about? We always yes. have a new design every Thank month. Thank you for clarifying. Do not follow us in real life, just yeah. Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> yeah. we, we don't need any of that. Because that's just creepy. It's just, it's just weird. Yeah. Follow us electronically as much as you want. Um, yeah, we you... say all day, whatever. <laughs> Crack into our iPhones. Go ahead, try it. Right, fine. See, see if you can find us. Uh, how you get a new one for this month, though, right? As, yeah, well, as, after after last month's episode, I was so uh, impressed with Tom and Abby's story that we're doing a Nabby Grabber. There we go. Uh, Look at that. <clears throat> yep. So it's going to be sweet. Like, I'm hoping for, like, ex-cast members getting it. You know, like, it just goes viral amongst the old... We're certainly going to make sure we put one of those in Tom Nabby's hands. Absolutely. Yes. And and look, RJ and Suzanne, we just spoke with them. They use the Nabby grabber. That yes. Is, they'll certainly need one of those, at least a sticker, you know, with a T-shirt. So. And we, what did we have? The one guy tweeted us with the Captain EO shirt. Oh, that, yeah. He was in front of Space Mountain. That's, that's so right. if you have merchandise, whatever it is, like, you know, mugs, or it's really cool to see it out in the wild. So if yeah. you get something, send us a picture on Twitter or wherever. So the new shirt, new design for all the merchandise will be the Nabby Grabber, available shortly. And you can check that out at RetroDisneyWorld.com forward slash support us. And all the proceeds help to continue this podcast running, do our film restorations, and uh, eventually for a nice get-together at some point in the future. And if any of our listeners would like to get one of Hal's designs tattooed on them, we will make the artwork <laughs> available to them. That's right. And Hal will sign uh, sign in, in felt pen so that you can then have his signature tattooed. <laughs> tattooed right Is that the moment time. you've made it as a designer, like when somebody has a tattoo of something you did? Is that ever happening? Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's Wherever it. you want it. We don't care. It's a yeah. don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. Yep. How will sign wherever. Yeah. So, no problem. I have no coup. <laughs> All right. So next month, guys, we're going to go back to a little bit of our roots, right? We're going to go back and do an attraction. Um, I know we've done a lot of interviews, but we want to go back to our roots and, and, and focus on some of the old attractions for the next couple episodes. So how you've got, you've got one of mine, right? I think we're going to, yeah, with, with everyone's permission, I'd, I'd like to spend a little time with one of my close personal friends, Mr. Toad. Ah, let's that's, do it. That's, nice. that's, that's, that's an awesome idea. Sorely missed. Right. And uh, I, I, I did ride this. I was not. Oh, that's good. <laughs> you were born for this one. <laughs> I thought I was really driving it and controlling <laughs> yeah, it, but he was, he was two and a half, memory. but he, he yeah, was, I just, right. I just wrote it a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. We were like, well, it's, it'll be an interesting comparison for the two, the version we know and also what's out in Disney. Yeah. World, so. I, I wrote it a couple of weeks ago and just finished reading Raleigh Crump's book. So you got to read all about the Florida yeah. version 
and uh, and and experience the California version. Exactly. Yes, and and one of our very favorite people besides Early Crump is one of the big reasons uh, that it got built the way it does and was in Florida. So we'll be able to talk about that too. Capacity, awesome. capacity, capacity. That's right. Capacity, <laughs> capacity. More to See, come. How's all ready to talk? We should just start recording now. But. It is the time to close out. We're going to say real quick uh, thank you to our sponsors and and ended for this month. So um, for all your Orlando ticketary needs, visit Ticketmama.com for less than gate prices. And Rental Car Mama, when we're visiting Orlando, visit RentalCarMama.com for discounts at Advantage Rent-A-Car and other firms. And by, Orla- by OrlandoVacation.com, vacation homes and discount hotels for the savvy Florida traveler. All right. If you're interested in sponsoring the Retro Disney World podcast, please email us at info at RetroDisneyWorld.com. As always, thank you to our listeners. Keep the emails and phone calls coming. We love hearing from all of you. Um, give us a shout out uh, with a review at iTunes if possible. Let all your family and friends know about us. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, as we said, we give away uh, different things during the month, different chances, coupons, all sorts of great stuff. Follow us. And uh, All right, with that, Brian, take us out. Follow Todd McCartney and Retro Disney World on Twitter and Instagram at RetroWDW on Facebook at Retro Disney World. And for all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroDisneyWorld.com. On Twitter, follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, at GoAwayGreen. For JT Couser at Hoagie's Garage. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook, at Brian P. Miles. <laughs>